0: good morning and welcome to overeaters anonymous a vision for you big book study my name is Lisa H and I am a recovered compulsive overeater today is Tuesday December the 11th 2017 and this is the 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting today we're reading from the big book and we're on page one Bill's story we're beginning on the fourth paragraph or the last paragraph It begins with 22 and a veteran of foreign wars. We'll be reading through two paragraphs ending in philosophic thought were so derived. Today's readers are the 12 Steps, Tins and P. The 12 Traditions, Susan M. Readers of the text, Leslie W., Monica T., Marie J. Our newcomer greeter is Russ M. And the host for the second hour is Gina R. The reference numbers for Monday, December the 11th, 2017. The 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 10783, that's 10,783. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting, it's 10,784, 10,784. OA Preamble. to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask and P. to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. Here are the steps we took
1: which I suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. 6 were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive eaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Tinzen. And Susan M, will you please read the 12 traditions? Thank you, Lisa. Good morning. This is Susan M. in Oklahoma, Recovered Never Cured. Tradition one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Tradition 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other media of, uh, public media of communication. And Tradition 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks for your service.
0: Thank you so much, Susan. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions of recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And please, when you're sharing, um, if you'll not use the phone. Today, we resume our study of the big book. On page 1, Bill's story, the last paragraph beginning 22 and a Veteran of Foreign Wars, Reading through two paragraphs ending in philosophic thought were so derived and sharing on both paragraphs. Leslie W., will you please get us started?
3: I will. Thank you. Can you hear me okay? I can. Thank you so much. This is Leslie W., recovered in Tennessee. 22 and a veteran of foreign wars, I went home at last. I fancied myself a leader for had not the men of my battery given me a special token of appreciation. My talent for leadership, I imagined, would place me at the head of a vast enterprise, which I would manage with the utmost assurance. I took a night law course and obtained employment as investigator for a surety company. The drive for success was on. I proved to the world I was important. My work took me about Wall Street, and little by little, I became interested in the market Many people lost money, but some became very rich. Why not I? I studied economics and business as well as law. Potential alcoholic that I was, I nearly failed my law course. At one of the finals, I was too drunk to think or write. Though my drinking was not yet continuous, it disturbed my wife. We had long talks when I would steal her for- foreboding by telling her that men of genius conceived their best projects when drunk that the most majestic constructions of philosophic thoughts were so derived. Okay, Leslie W. starting my timer. Um, I just wanted to focus on the drive for success was on. I proved to the world I was important. This is really true for me. Um, I, can, I can relate to Bill here. Um, Hold on. Somebody
4: just somebody just
3: found me hiding in the closet to read my big book.
4: Um,
3: but what I was just saying was that, um, you know, for me, I was always driven to succeed. Always driven to succeed. Um, you know, when I was 17, I signed a contract with um, Six Flags Over Georgia and drove to Atlanta and every weekend and, um, you know, left home early, graduated. I couldn't wait to get out of there. I couldn't wait to succeed. Um, all I wanted to do was perform, sing, um, uh, make money. Um, and, and that continued. Um, after I got married, moved to New York, started working at a record label. Um, and I really just, I really just wanted to I really just wanted to make something of myself I had a lot to prove came from a small small town and um, you know I I wanted to I wanted to be somebody you know I really wanted to be somebody um, to me being a regular person was the worst thing in the world um, and i always had something to prove always always had something to prove and um well my eating disorder did not really come about not not really manifest itself until those things were taken away from me and it doesn't really matter why those things were taken away from me but they were taken away from me they were stripped from me and when and when they were um my eating disorder was in full swing um, and you know I suddenly realized that I didn't know who I was without those things those things defined me. me
5: um,
3: and my world fell apart my world absolutely fell apart and um, I'm so thankful though that it did because the destruction of my ego is what I needed. Um, and I often ask myself, why? Why was this happening to me? Why couldn't I control my food? Why couldn't I control my eating? I've been able to do anything that I wanted to do in life Time. that I felt thus, thus far. Thank you. But for me, um, that ego had to be smashed. It really, really did. And so
0: today, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that it was. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Leslie W. Now I'll open the lines for anyone who'd like to share on what Leslie read. Christy Barbara G-O-M-G. E.
3: Barbara. Kathy I got Christy J. and Barbara.
1: Kathy K. Marie J.
0: Okay, I have Chrissy, I think Chrissy G, Barbara E, Kathy K, Marie J, one or two more.
6: Lauren okay. N.
0: Okay. Lauren N.
7: Harlan Anybody G.
0: Stacy T. Harlan. Harlan G. Okay, let's stop there. I'll tell you what I have. I it's Chrissy, I'm not sure about the last initial. Barbara E, Kathy K, Marie J, Lauren N, Harlan G, and Stacey G. So Chrissy, I think. Chrissy or Christy?
8: Yes. Yes, it's Chrissy G. G.
0: Chrissy G. Thank you, Chrissy. Go ahead.
8: Yeah, good morning. It's Chrissy G, Recovered Compulsive Overeater and Anorexic from New Jersey. And I I am so excited to be thinking about this uh, part of our disease, this spiritual malady that we have that drives us to find things outside ourselves to make us feel okay inside and you know it's it was said to me and explained to me early on in another 12-step um program that it's the emptiness that i have inside can only be filled by god because it's a god-shaped hole and no matter what outside external things validation from other people praise success uh even even um even seemingly positive things like doing good in the program and being a successful sponsor, you know, it's just anytime it's my success, it is it doesn't fill that god hole. It has to be connected to the power of God. It's got to be for me, um, I call my higher power God. And for me, this relationship is one of obedience, one of following through on what God um, directs me to do, and and the power that I feel from from achieving those things—they can't be seen. It's internal. That feeling of knowing that. I am quietly doing God's work and that no one has to notice except for my higher power and me is an unbelievably powerful feeling. And it's like when um, I heard that the the most compassionate and kind and unselfish thing you can do for someone um, is cover them while they're sleeping because they won't know about it. And that's for me, that was not my MO. I wanted everybody to know everything that I did and, and know how wonderful I was. And now that, that I know that there is a God and he's aware of what I do and, and the choices that I make is the only thing that matters to me. And that's a powerful freedom. It can't be taken away from me like people's validation because people are fickle. And if I'm working for that, that's impossible impossible to get
0: peace from that.
8: And with that, I pass.
0: Thank you, Chrissy G. And Barbara E., you're up, followed by Kathy K. Did you just call on me? Barbara, this yes. Is,
9: oh, okay, I was unmuting it, and you know the blank spot. I love the progression of this book. Reading the four words to see how AA has grown over the various editions, learning in the doctor's opinion about the allergy, the obsession, the solution. And now here we are in Bill's story, studying a person's personal story so that I can identify in with what Bill and the others in the stories have gone through to get to the common solution. I certainly felt the humiliation The determination and then again the repeated humiliation of loss and gain and loss and gain. Going to the chubbet section when I was a child was humiliated. The fierce determination to lose the weight was always followed by a spree that would bring back the weight plus countless friends. I was warned, ominous warnings, by doctors telling me I needed knee surgery. I was in danger of diabetes. I was losing my eyesight. I would have that old fierce determination followed by success, quite a bit of success. But then I would stamp myself normal and say I can go out and eat like a normal person. But I am not that normal person because I had that allergy and that obsession of the mind. I had a hole in my soul, and the food constantly was needed to fill it, and I needed more and more and more. I convinced myself that I could study better for tests in college if I fortified myself with food. I spent so much time walking back and forth to the uh, vending machines. That sometimes I never even got to the test in the morning, or quit courses. I was so sick I couldn't take the tests, but I had that fierce determination to begin again, and that egocentric desire to com- to convince you that I was superior when I indeed felt inferior inside. I so identify, the more I reread Bill's story, the more I see the comparisons in myself. I look forward to hearing what the rest of you have to say this morning. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity, Lisa, for doing this wonderful service on Tuesday morning. I
0: pass. Thank you, Barbara. And Kathy Kay, you're up,
10: followed by Marie J. Thank you, Lisa, for your service. This is Kathy Kaye, Recovered in Boston. Um, I love reading Bill's story. It reminds me uh, so well of my own transformation and where I began this work, um, you know, I can't remember how young I was. It was certainly before the age of 22. uh could have been when I was in sixth grade, um, where I made a decision that <clears throat> I was going to be the best at whatever I did. Um, and it was, uh, that was my primary goal in life. And I learned at a pretty early age that rather than get tired or distracted or consider just playing or being, um, I would eat to get myself going again. Um, So food became a a substance very early in my life that that I thought helped me accomplish more than anyone else could around me. And that went on for so many years, even after I came to OA, um, before I studied the big book. um, My primary purpose in life was to show the rest of the world that I could accomplish a lot, a lot more than the average person, whatever that means. Um, And it was only through uh, falling down from the food and realizing I had absolutely no control over it and that I was killing myself with overeating because by the time I came to OA, I had developed type 1 diabetes. So my life was more threatened by overeating than it had been for many years. Um, And I have to say that... that beginning this journey of recovery um, uh i I also thought I could do recovery faster and better than anyone else, and I've developed such humility uh as I work the steps, realizing um that I have to keep learning and I have to keep searching uh for my connection with my higher power. So that I can make decisions in the service of others and God, rather than in the service of my ego. And with that, I pass.
0: Thank you, Kathy K. And Marie J. You're up, followed by Lauren N. Thank you. This is Marie J. Um, recovered and awake
11: in Colorado. Um, I really see myself a lot in this uh, in, in Bill here because of all the ego in this paragraph, and I relate to how Bill hungers for uh, admiration and importance. Because I was never good enough in my own mind, and more was never enough. I was always in a panic to get more, get more, do more, be more. And what I know now is that there's no human attention that's ever going to be enough, and i thought that's what i needed that's in my disease i screamed and yelled at everybody and anybody and my husband anybody who didn't put me first who didn't put all my needs and <laughs> all my wants as their top priority and blame and self pity became my life that's how i lived and of course now in recovery i've learned that once i allow higher power in and i have to allow allow higher power in i I have to open the door. You know, God's standing behind the door just saying I'm here and I have to make the decision. I have to make that choice and, you know, I make that in the third step that this is the only source that I need for my fulfillment and when I begin to understand that, that true fulfillment comes from doing the will of higher power, being useful and being of service to others and then I become happy and joyful so when i'm always asking god to show me the way to be of help and to be of use my ego can't get in the way because i'm not in charge and i don't have to take credit i don't get to take credit because i'm not in charge and i don't need to take credit you know god's in charge always and it's not that I don't run into troubles. I run into my ego pushing against me every single day, that narrator in my head telling me that I need to be in charge. And, and that's why I need to continue to stay in conscious contact with God and to continue to to ask for that direction. Because When I'm in charge, that's when things end badly. So... Mostly, I just have to focus on having a sense of humility, you know, and that's our seventh step. Boy, that was a hard step for me, finding humility and asking God to run the show all the time. But when I do, things go really, really well. You know, I think, oh, things go pretty good. No, they go darn well. They, they just really work when I'm not in charge and I turn it over to God and and then i don't have to feel that strain and anxiety of all those character defects of mine rising up to the surface and and requiring so much resist you know energy to resist that and to surrender and and you know, just a, that resistance, you know. If I just practice, practice, practice every day, staying in that conscious contact with God and leaving God to be in charge, then I have the freedom. I have the freedom and I have the fulfillment and I don't need
0: my ego. That's all I got. Thanks. Thank you, Marie J. And Lauren N., you're, um, you're out followed by Harlan G. Good
6: morning, all. Uh, This is Lorna, and can you hear me? I can. Go ahead. Um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater sugar addict in New York. And um, I, I imagined that I was, when I graduated from college, I imagined I was, I had the life in my hands and I was going to be the leader of the new free world when I came into my own. I couldn't control my food, I couldn't control my eating, I couldn't control anything around me, I I um, was angry, I was restless, I was discontent, I was feeling life and not able to deal with life, but I thought I had it all under my thumb. And wow, was I in for a rude awakening. Um, I married, I divorced, I raised a son by myself in the New York suburbs and I'm in my late 50s now and realized that I know nothing and that God knows everything. And thank God I know how to turn to him today. I know how to ask for help. And I know how to be humble. Or I'm learning how to be humble. It's one day at a time, my humility. This disease, this sickness has plagued my life. I always lived in this fantasy world that everything would be fine as long as I lost weight. (laughs) And guess what? It didn't happen like that. So thank God I'm here today willing to work the steps as I see them and as we're taught, as I'm taught, and willing to be humble today. And ask for God's guidance and how God would have me be today. so with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren N, and,
0: and Harlan G, you're up. I just want to remind everybody where we're where we are in the big book today. We're on page one of Bill's story on the last paragraph um, that begins twenty two in a Veteran of Foreign Wars. We're reading through two paragraphs, sharing on both. Ending in philosophic thought were so derived. And Harlan G., will you please um, share, followed by Stacy G.
7: I'd love to. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you to Team Tuesday for making this magnificent meeting possible. I'm Harlan G., I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. When I look at page two, I'm reminded of why Bill's story is here. It's here so I can identify in. And as I look at the paragraph, starting with, I took a night law course, what I'm seeing here is, it says here, I nearly failed my law course at one of the finals, I was too drunk to think or write. What's happening here is that Bill's alcoholism is starting to take control of his life. Very close to Bill's house was a law school that offered night classes, Brooklyn Law School. He went there, he took some classes there, and all of a sudden his alcoholism is altering the path of his life. Can I identify in with that? You bet that I can. Every dream that I dreamed, every aspiration that I had was completely shattered, completely shattered by my morbid obesity. By the time I was a senior in high school, I was 335 pounds. By the time I was in high school, I was emasculated emotionally and physically by this illness. By the time I was in high school, everything about my life that was whirling around, by the time I was in grammar school, was about food and weight, food and weight, food and weight. And as I look past that, it says here, though my drinking was not yet continuous, it disturbed my wife We had long talks when I would still her forebodings by telling her that men of genius conceived their best projects when drunk that the most majestic constructions of philosophic thought were so derived. What is the first victim of this illness is the truth. The first thing to go out the window when I am practicing the illness of compulsive overeating is the truth. I cannot see that it is not okay to eat an entire chocolate cake. I cannot see that it is not okay for me to eat an entire bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. These these things just make perfect sense to me. I lie to myself, I lie to others, and then I have to cover up my lies with yet more lies. I ate railroad cars full of Doritos because I lied about eating railroad cars full of Doritos. My life was a life of fear. My life was a life of anxiety and tension, because I never remembered well what lie I had going with what person. And I could lie to A about something, and B about something completely different, and now they're in the same room, and my heart is beating like a brass band. Can I relate into Bill's story? You bet I can. Very glad to be here this morning. And with that I'll pass. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Harlan G. And Stacey G, you're up.
12: Good morning. This is Stacey T is in time. Oh, excuse from- me. Thank you, Stacey. Okay. Stacey T. In Cleveland, recovering compulsive over eater. And What stood out for me this time in reading Bill's story was, again, going back to I was very lonely, and I was. And the drive for success was on. And back in high school, I applied to one college. That's typically not average, I don't think. Um, And I applied to one school thinking that... uh, I would get in and then I'd move on. I didn't have a plan B. Um, The school was uh, a well-known school. And, in fact, I did get in. And I would prove to the world (laughs) that I was important. Uh, I would prove to myself that I was important all the while being terrified uh, that I truly wasn't enough that I wouldn't make it in the industry that I was headed to, um, but being told by this piece of paper that I was important enough to uh, attend and that I would become very rich and famous and I would be on stage with some of the people that were my heroes in performing And why not I? Well, the food was my master. Dieting, body weight, objectification of my body, not knowing how to have interpersonal relationships. All of that stood in the way of myself and really pursuing the original vision, goal, and dream that I had. And so unlike Bill, and yet very much like Bill, I was brought to my knees. With my head down, I applied to the last remaining school in my state two months before school was to start, knowing that I had left behind a dream that I had regretted many decades uh, later. And with that, I passed.
0: Thank you, Stacey T. And the lines are now open for others who'd like to share. Lisa B. This is Larry. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> nope, I got Lisa B. and Larry K. Oh, okay. Gina R.
5: Leah M.
0: Gina R. I got Gina and I have Leah M. Maybe one more.
13: Nancy ara. Lisa
0: B. Okay. And I've got Liz, but we'll see if we can get to you. So I have Lisa B., Larry K., Gina R., Leia M., Nancy R., and perhaps Liz. Lisa B., please go ahead.
14: Good morning. This is Lisa B., a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. And thank you, Lisa, for your service and for everyone that's here on the line. I thought, I thought it was Larry's turn to share and that I spoke up wrong. But anyways, I'm so glad to be here and to be reading Bill's story. So what jumps out for me is um, we had long talks when I would steal her forebodings. And so I um, would consume on the weekends, my favorite thing to do would be to bake. Chocolate chip cookies. And my husband started to say to me, You know, you're going to really get sick. You're going to need to have a gallbladder removed or you might develop diabetes. And, you know, food to me, I just looked at it almost like a hobby, a recreation. And um, I wasn't experiencing a lot of consequences that I know of. But, you know, like we just heard, I can't tell the true from the false. And I was thinking that I'm not really harming anyone. I had, that didn't have the awareness that I was so blocked off and shut off from really being helpful to my family, being of service, being present. I was so checked out, numbed out on the cookies. And um, the other thing is I identify with that is that I used food as a performance drug. And I just got that term this weekend on the special edition share, and I had never been able to to develop the term for what, what I was doing. But, you know, food would so often be a performance drug for me. So when he's talking about men of genius conceive their best projects, when I needed to do some work, um, creative work for my business, like I'll uh, write something for my website or, or just something, I would get a whole big bag of cookies or M&Ms and it would just fill me, I thought, with creativity and energy and drive. Um, the other thing when it talks about, um, uh, let's see here, that's, that's the one thing I wanted to talk about, but, um, Oh, I would become somebody. I'd prove to the world I was important. I had just such a feeling of being less than, but at other times I felt superior and better than. So I think being um, average was terrifying for me, just terrifying. I, I didn't know how to handle being average, being a part of, being one of many, not being the bottom of the heap. The worst of the worst are being better than i i didn 't know how to just be in the middle you know and be average and i 'm grateful today that i 'm learning each day I think it 's a journey i 'll never arrive i 'm learning how to be more and more comfortable in my own skin today as a recovered person and i'm i'm using the steps, the spirituality um that inner life that 's inside of me that has just taken root is amazing it 's amazing this whole world. Um, of that connection with my higher power that is so vital for me. But um, I think I just wanted to matter, to be important. And the fears of failure and the fears of success, it just was a constant battle. Um, And being still in the moment was terrifying for me. So with that, Uh I pass.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Lisa B. And Larry K., you're up, followed by Gina R.,
15: Thanks so much, <clears throat> Larry K. Uh, Recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. You know this this hits me pretty hard. In high school, I was not among the popular. You know, I I was uh, I hid, and uh, was not comfortable in my own skin. And I and I experienced a a little bit of fame, a little bit of notoriety, uh, at a pretty early age. And the drive for success was on, and I proved to the world that I was important. And it came from a place of inferiority and not feeling complete. So I can remember being 22 and looking to set the world on fire. And I got a little, little tension. and I thought I would unleash my talent on the universe while feigning humility. And like Bill, I, I often imagine great success. Why not I? See, I can identify in with some of this stuff. You know what? F- fame is fleeting. It's in the eyes of the beholders. See, we see the world from the inside out effect that, that leads everyone to be at least somewhat self-centered. It certainly led me there. Perhaps Bill, perhaps you. And and I can only see the world from my perspective It takes a a, a special effort to see the world from any perspective other than through our own eyes. We wear our own perceptive lenses. And at age 20, we worry about what others think of us. And perhaps at age 40, we don't care what they think of us. And at 60, we discover, you know what, maybe they haven't been thinking of us at all. This program has been the most profound, transformative thing in my life. I didn't find it in a church. I didn't find spirituality in a temple. I didn't find it in the woods. I didn't find it in fame. None of those things. I found it when I was brought into alignment. It continues to unfold, but I was brought into alignment with with the higher power of my own understanding, and now I can be one among many, and I don't have to be special. Don't have to be special. You know, I'm just one among many. Thank God for this program. With that, I'll pass. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Larry Kay. And Gina R., you're up, followed by Leah M. Good morning, Lisa. Thank you so much for your service, and hello to
16: everybody on the line. This is Gina R., gratefully recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body in Green Valley, Arizona. Um, what my eye is drawn toward this morning in my heart was when we had long talks, we had long talks when I would still her faux boardings by telling her that men of genius conceive their best projects when drunk, that the most majestic constructions of philosophic thought were so derived. He was taking um, what I think is probably a kernel of truth um, and that, yeah, history has shown us that many masterpieces of um, art and um, the written word and um, probably the construction of other buildings, that kind of thing, I don't know. Those people were um afflicted with um I think this disease, but what what I'm really seeing in here and seeing myself in here is um it's to me it's very thinly veiled, but it's I can almost like see a sarcastic person making his wife feel feel okay by manipulating her to believe that um number one he knows better so it's almost a condescending point of view and and then he's taking this again you know kernel of truth there's a little bit of truth there and then ascribing to himself that he is a a man of genius he's already decided that he's all that and a bag of chips and that's what i would do i would find a way to um take whatever it was that you were pointing out to me that um was indeed a problem but somehow I would turn it around and uh make you believe that it was your problem and I would do it in a way that was condescending and um mean and um it 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 just it really breaks my heart now knowing what I know now that that that's Um, how I I behaved. Um, I'm so grateful that I don't have to do that now, that I can see what my true purpose is, and that is to be kind and tolerant and extend myself with love to others, especially when I don't think they deserve it.
0: Um, And uh, anyway, that's all I got. Thank you so much. I passed. Thank you very much, Gina R. and Leah M. You're up, followed by Nancy R.
5: Thank you very much, Lisa. The drive of for success was on. Um, you know, Bill is obviously a very driven, intelligent, charismatic uh, fellow. Uh, he and you know he eventually. Uh, takes that drive and just self-destructs. And and I relate to this. I relate to this frightening, vivid, and detailed account of his drive, which, uh, you know, was a descent into madness because it was the same for me. It was the same for me at about this age. The disease was clearly wrapping its uh, noose around my neck. Um, I just couldn't get comfortable with life you know, I couldn't be comfortable. I had a rough time living. I was uh, feeling very, you know, alone, uh, oversensitive, underloved. It's hard to be comfortable when, you know, all my life thus far, the two decades, I was trying so hard to be somebody and feel like something and aspire to be equal, and yet desperately had this inner need to be superior, Here's another word I could never relate to. I could never relate to enough. I couldn't achieve enough. I couldn't get enough food. I couldn't get enough love. I couldn't get enough security. I couldn't get enough praise. And it was self-will run riot. And the disease was clearly uh, dominating me at this point. People were speaking to me um, because, uh, you know, I was unable to see the onset and the progression because of this distorted view that I had, you know, when I get to this place, when I reach this goal, when I achieve this, when I'm done with Ivy League school, when I'm here, you know, uh, this just... Dis- this distorted view allowed for its development and progression. And, of course, you know, I used justification and rationalization and avoiding, you know, people discussing with me whether I was 75 pounds or 180 pounds. I mean, within months of each other, I had an inability to see the reality of my condition, and that led me to deny its existence. And I just kept running on this self-will run riot. I ended up being everything I never wanted to be. Um, And so I relate to this very clearly. I relate to the progression. I relate to the drive. Um, You know, I, I relate to the madness that eventually occurs. You know, thank God for the program of recovery that rearranges us, uh, gives us new character, new values, a new personality, and, and and to learn that true ambition is the deep desire to live usefully and walk humbly with those gifts that God gave us under the grace of God. And with that, I pass. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Leah. Um, Nancy R., you're
5: up, followed by Liz.
13: Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Nancy Ara. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater, and I was really struck by the reading this morning and the wonderful shares. Uh, it just it, it it took me back to my um, my adolescent years. Uh, I was the youngest, and my sister was a high achiever, and she was a normal size, and I, I was always overweight and the amazement the teachers would have in their eyes when they would uh, find out that I was her sister. It was like, you you know, I mean, their eyes, their amazement said everything. Uh, you couldn't possibly be a Jamie's sister because Janie was small, petite, and very smart. So early on, I set out to prove that I, I'd be just as smart. And uh, that that uh, uh, that was one of my driving forces all through school to prove that I was just as smart. As my sister, and uh, um, my father was a a renowned clergyman, and um, I felt I had to live up to these high standards, and that that really set the course of my life that I was going to prove that I was going to be the big achiever, the top achiever. And uh, I don't regret uh, the academic choices I made, but today I recognize why I did them, it wasn't for intellectual pursuits, it was just trying to prove that I was I was good, that 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 I was better. That was the driving force. And um only I had an uncle once who, who uh just told me I was a clipper's guy. He said, You're not gonna marry any of these guys around here and I said, Why do you say that? He said, Because they're not good enough for you. And he had he had pegged me out, he had figured me out at an early age. That I was looking for somebody, because if you don 't feel good about yourself, you 're looking for a mate to make you feel uh good, so you can say to the world, "I might be fat, but look what I look what I have here." So I you know, identify with this so many different ways i 'm really grateful that I found this program because this program has enabled me to be comfortable with myself and to accept uh, the gifts and, and talents that God has given me to use them uh as God would have me to use them not to make myself feel good, feel better. Uh, and, and it's such a gift. It is such a gift just to be comfortable in my skin. Never been that way before up until I uh, recovered in this program. And for that, I am eternally grateful. I have nothing to prove to anything or anybody. You know, I'm just, um, I'm just one among the herd, and that's a good place to be. I don't have to be out front. And I don't have to be behind. I could, being in the middle is a good place. Thank you for letting me share.
0: Thank you, Nancy R. And Liz, you're up if you'll give me the first initial of your last name. That's a V as in Victor. Liz V, please go ahead.
17: Hi, it's Liz V, gratefully recovered compulsive overeater in North Carolina. Um, it's always so good to hear people share and um, i mean always reminded that i relate in and i thought so for so many years that i was the only person or one of few people feeling a certain way um and i related i didn't think i related much to bill's ego um early on when i would read those paragraphs um i thought because i suffered from low self-esteem and a low sense of self-worth That I couldn't possibly have the ego um, that he had and the bravado that he, you know, seems to, that he has in the beginning, that he could do all these things. And, um, but as I grew and as I look back over my story, I realized that um, I had that same ego too. I, even though I had low self worth, I was always striving to be better, even in my own corner of the world, whatever it was, there, there was never ever enough. Um, and so I did think I could overcome that. And that obviously turned out to be my downfall too. Um, in this program, my ego told me that I could, that I got it, that I understood it. I did think I was a smart person. I was that precocious type that we talk about. Um, and so my ego kept me thinking I would eventually figure this out. And get this disease licked. When I thought it was a disease, sometimes I didn't even believe it was a disease. I thought it's it's a condition. I did think it was a moral failing sometimes. And so I had enough of that self-reliance, self-will, ego to think that I would get this, despite having this book in front of me that I wasn't reading closely. And so that's really where I realize now I identify over and over and over and over, just like Bill, I thought I could get it this time. I would just, there would be this just one more time, and I would be able to change my situation. Um, And I'm so grateful today um, to not have that ego anymore, to understand that there is a source, it's a higher power, and it's definitely not Liz. Thanks, and I'll pass.
0: Thank you, Liz B. And we may have time for one more two-minute share, if anybody has a burning desire. Okay. Thank you so much to everyone who shared this morning. Oh,
5: go ahead.
18: Hi, this is Beth B. in Charlottesville, Virginia, and I'll take two minutes.
5: Okay, go ahead, Beth.
18: Morning, thank you. Um, I will. Yeah. The, the, the drive. Oh my gosh, the drive to be uh, something that I clearly couldn't be because of what someone else told me I needed to be. Um, you see, I was never able to really understand that I had unique um, gifts to give the world because uh, I, I had always subscribed to another ideal, which was to live up into and be like my brother. And, you know, so my entire life from, you know, adolescence, I was a nationally ranked tennis player. Um, I, I got that way to, 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 to try to live up to my brother's standard. And, you know, I've been chasing that golden carrot, uh, for my entire life. And anytime I couldn't meet, uh, his, his bar, uh, according to my family, then I would, um, I would eat. Uh, I'm thankful to to be able to be free of that today because uh, it is it is God has revealed to me that I have some unique gifts uh, and I'm a different and an individual person and um, my life is good the way it is and I don't have to be uh, anybody else's measure of success to be a valuable person. And that's what—that's the greatest gift that the program has given me, Working the Steps has allowed God to show that to me, and I'm grateful for that and happy to share. Thank you for your service and have a great day.
0: Thank you, Beth. Good timing. And thank you to everyone who shared this morning. Thank you, Team Tuesday, Tenzin P., Susan M., Leslie W., Monica T., and Marie J., um, today's share ID, which actually today is Tuesday, December the 12th, 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting, is 10787. That's 10,787. We'll now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Will Monica T. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only
4: good morning lisa good morning everyone my name is monica t and i'm a recovered compulsive overeater in florida our book is meant to be suggestive only we realize we know only a little god will constantly disclose more to you and to us ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick the answers will come if your own house is in order